You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, it's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I've been uh, getting out this week playing some disc golf. It's something I learned how to do somewhere during the pandemic, and I haven't done it for a few months, and uh, I'm still okay. I played a game where I was, like, for the course, I was four over par, which is actually quite a bit better than where I used to be. So. Is that, is that pretty big in uh, New Mexico or? It's not huge. You know, it's funny. So Rio Rancho has a Intel plant and I think they built a lot of disc golf courses because uh, it's a hobby engineers and nerds love. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to say also also people that try to be, quote, athletic in their mid thirties because like there's no way at this point, like we're, we're going to join a basketball league because we were bad in basketball anyway. Oh, um, yeah. I, I, at this I'm point, we to play probably... basketball again, but uh yeah, but at this point, I feel like the athletic, the extent of our athletic abilities goes to disc golf or uh, frisbee golf or whatever it's called. So you can, you can injure yourself doing disc golf too, though. You got to be a little careful. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Make sure you stretch. You got to exactly. make sure that's a uh, you're ready. Have um, you been, Sean? Good. Uh, Beth and I are leaving for Italy in two days. Um, we're going for our uh, post-pandemic honeymoon. I have not started packing, which is an issue. And I know that I want to get a re- this recording done for the episode that we're going to publish in a couple of days. And then um, I'm going to be publishing a or recording a solo episode that we're going to be publishing the week after. Got to do all that by Friday. I did take Friday off work, but I'm going to be working tomorrow. So I'm cutting it close, but we're going to be okay. In case people were wondering how committed we are to the podcast, Sean's yeah, worrying about the podcast instead of uh, packing for Italy. <laughs> instead of packing for my honeymoon yeah um that's how much our listeners mean to me but i'm sure i'm sure when i record this bethany's watching her shows and she's having a good time anyway so and then one other thing i wanted to mention that i'm I'm actually presenting another meetup for the walled garden this one's talking about the idea of prosoke which is like the ancient greek stoic word for mindfulness so that the uh the stoics had a practice like mindfulness which usually comes from the buddhist tradition i'm gonna be talking about that on thursday at um, it's 4 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, yeah, if you're interested, you can listen to that. And uh, I saw the, the Walled Garden is putting out podcast episodes again. So eventually you'll hear me on there. Yeah. And uh, can you provide the link to uh, like how people or just to show people how they would um, join your your thing later this month? Yeah. Or? yeah. You can just go to the walledgarden.com and find my page on there. But I'll put a link to the uh, event on there as well. Yeah. Awesome. And... I'll mention this now too. So I have this idea of offering a mindfulness group through the walled garden that basically would be the beginning open to kind of to anybody. So if, if you're, you'd be interested at all in going to a meetup with me where I'm talking about how you do mindfulness and how you get better at mindfulness. The one of the times I'm thinking of doing it is would be Saturday at 8 AM mountain time. It would be Saturday at 10 AM Eastern. But if people let me know like time zones they're in, and if they're really excited about this, I have some flexibility. Um, So that's something it's a work in progress. We'll start advertising it. Awesome. That's exciting. Uh, so what do you think, David? Should we get into the episode? Let's get into the myth. Yeah. So last week we discussed our second episode detailing the ominous dreams of Boulder that foretold his own death. We spoke specifically to the first part of chapter 49 of Gilfaganin from the Proceta. So in that episode, the Aesir have a council to discuss what actions they need to take as a result of the beautiful Balder having dreams of his imminent death, Frigg, Balder's mother and Odin's wife, decided to take a vow from every living being and every object that they would not harm Balder. So the gods decide to have some fun once Balder is kind of um, in a position where he cannot be hurt by those things. The gods decide to have some fun, taking turns hitting him and throwing things at him. Since he can't be harmed, you know, why the hell not? However, Loki found a type that a type of twig, in this case mistletoe, was too young to take a vow, which David and I thought was rather funny. So he tricked Balder's blind brother Hod into throwing the mistletoe at him, which killed Balder instantly. The gods, in their grief, then sent Hermod, who volunteered at Frigg's, Frigg's request, to hell to negotiate the release of Balder from Niflheim. And that is where we left off. So this week, we are going to pick up right where we left off and discuss the final part of chapter 49 of Gilfaganin, which details Hermod's journey to hell to retrieve Balder and what the Aesir must do to get him back. David, how does that sound? 
Oh, that sounds good. And that, that question of, yeah, who is Hermod and uh, kind of where does he come from? We talked about it a little bit last week. I'll probably come back to that again this week as well, because I don't, I don't think he shows up anywhere else in Norse mythology, right? It's just this Yeah, I don't story. think so. Yeah. But I saw, especially in a John Lindau's um, kind of encyclopedia of Norse mythology, had some interesting thoughts on Hermod. Yeah, yeah definitely. So getting back to Gulfoginine and picking up where we left off. So Hermod goes to Niflheim. Meanwhile, back in Asgard, the Aesir took Baldur's body and carried it to the sea. The gods wanted to put Baldur on his ship, which is called Ringhorn, and then launch his body into the sea for a funeral pyre. However, the ship would not budge. And I wanted to make a quick note here because the story claims that Ringhorn, um, Baldur's ship, was the greatest of all, all ships. However, as Odin tells us in Grimnismal, Skidbladnir, Frey's ship, has been called the best ship that there is as well. And that's when I saw your note, I was like, you know, I'm sure it's just a Norse poetry thing where they're like, every ship is the greatest of all ships, right? <laughs> so, you know, the, most people think, oh, you're, you're reading into this too much to say is... Uh, is, is Baldur's ship somehow maybe the same ship as Freyr's? But there's a few things then that come up to me later where I'm like, maybe there is something to that. So we'll come back to that. Yeah. Idea too. yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because if you like read the myths and you hear about like a god or something, or what comes to mind also is the saga of the Volsungs. There's a, a long line of family of male members of the family of Volsungs. And the description of each one of them is, oh, they were tall. They were muscular. They were all glorious looking. Yeah. Um, and so like each one was better looking than the last. And at some point that can't be true. Um, right. so yeah, good. No, but, the, and that, that it's interesting that you bring up the, uh, saga of the Volsungs. Cause yeah, that's, that's came up as I, in my reading of this myth as well. And also that, um, we know that Balder, right. Balder is the beautiful hero, but I'm not sure if Freyr is supposed to be beautiful too. I think he is kind of, but that's, that's for a later episode. Yeah. Yeah. As you say, Freyr is the lover. So yeah. We'll see when we do that one. Um, but because Frey's ship, Skidbladnir, you can fold up and put in your pocket, I'm going to say that that is the best ship. Yeah, that's why, that's why I think that's the, the feat of uh, old dwarven engineering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. And it's not, it's not German engineering in uh, the Norse myths. It's dwarven. Um, so anyway, because the ship did not budge, they sent to Giantland for the giantess called Hurokin. She came riding a wolf that used poisonous snakes for reins. When she got off of her mounts, Odin seemed to have asked four berserkers to watch the mounts. However, they needed to kill it since they couldn't hold it. And I found this very interesting because I don't remember in my first and second reread of this myth, but I saw this in preparation for this episode. I don't recall Odin having berserkers at hand you know, yeah. for the funeral, but it would, it would make sense that they are maybe like for the Einarhar or something like that. I would think they'd be Einarhar, right? Yeah. And that, um, no, the way it says it in the, the myth is, um, and they were not able to hold it until they had felt it. So I, there's a bunch of things in this myth that we won't dive into because I'm sure they're significant, but I couldn't figure out what the significance is of this. Yeah. This is when we really could dice apart into pieces, but we'll, um, I, I just find it interesting though that, yeah, it's, it's another, again, you know, someone coming from giant land, they have a wolf, that idea that Loki's from giant land. There's also some pieces here of the, the Aesir and the giants coming together with this funeral. And so I haven't really thought much about that yet either, but uh, something. To yeah. Notice. And, and yeah. that's, that's a definitely a very interesting, interesting thought that I'm sure we'll get into later in this episode, but like, obviously Baldur's death has some, has like something that is going to like spawn the end of times at Ragnarok where the Aesir fight the giants. However, the giants also seem to be upset that Boulder died. So there's like some, um, you know, maybe respect there oh, yeah. that we don't see, but you know, it, it's definitely, there's definitely something going on there. And there's this unity, right? That Frigg got all of the, you know, plants and minerals and everything in the world to agree to not harm him. Right? Something about this harmony coming together and yet Loki uh, mix, mixing that up <laughs> as well. Right? Yeah. Loki does not want to fuck with fate and yeah. Boulder is fated to die. So anyway, um, Hiroken was able to push the ship out into the sea because of her strength. And then the ship caught fire um, for the funeral pyre. This seems to have angered Thor, who wanted to then kill Hiroken. However, the gods convinced him not to kill her. And my guess is that he was mad because she succeeded where he did not. Yeah, no, I was trying to figure out my interpretation of that. So the way it's written is, then Hiroken went to the prow of the boat and pressed and thrust it out. 
at the first push, so that fire burst from the rollers, and all the lands trembled. Thor became angry and clutched his hammer, and would straightway have broken her head, had not the gods prayed for peace for her. So maybe it's that Thor's jealous, but I think also that she scared him, right? She like pushed this ship, made a loud noise, and he jumped a little bit and clutched his hammer. And he's like, nobody makes Thor flinch. And then he gets angry. <laughs> so that's my new uh, Thor meme. Yeah. Awesome. Thor is a very proud god. <laughs> so anyway, when Boulder's corpse was put onto the ship, his wife, Nana, who it says here is the daughter of Nep, was so heartbroken that her heart had burst and she died. She was then also she was also then carried to the ship with the funeral pyre. And I wanted to make a note here because this is the first death at a funeral or at, at Baldur's funeral. Yeah. And that also this again really reminds me of uh, Wagner's opera. The I think the, the third part is Gotter Damerung, which is the uh, the Twilight of the Gods. But basically there's it, it's very much like the, the story of a uh, Sigurd the Dragon Slayer is is the uh, the Ring of Power opera but there's a scene in that where the, yeah, the the heroes in the funeral pyre and his wife or his lover is put on the pyre as well and that's not the you know we're going to keep seeing th- this parallel here uh so that's something when eventually we talk about the sagas i'm sure we'll come back to but just kind of keep that in your mind i think awesome so then this is this part's also kind of funny because thor plays a part he then blesses the pyre with mjolnir so i'm not sure how he would bless a pyre with his hammer, but he did it. Yeah, maybe he just like you it was like a crystal. You hold it aloft. Yeah, you hold your hammer aloft, and it has been blessed. Just give it like a nice little love tap or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is where it gets very interesting, and by interesting, very absurd. Then a dwarf named Lit or Leader, depending on the translation, ran in front of Thor. Then Thor decides to kick the dwarf, where. The dwarf is then kicked into the fire on this boat, and he dies as well. So that is the second death at Baldur's funeral. And I could not figure out what this character, his name's either Lit or Litter with an R at the end. They said his name means something maybe like colorful or almost kind of sounding like a, like a ghost that you can see, uh, like a vision. But for some reason, I think of him being like Gollum. And this is also because I'm now thinking about the Ring of Power and that Odin puts his ring that creates wealth um, like the dragon's gold pile that this ring comes from in uh, Wagner's opera. So that I think this is basically Gollum got kicked by Thor and he uh, landed on the fire. But that's how I imagine this. And Drobnir does does play a part um, here here shortly. Yeah. What I think is funny is that Thor might be upset that there's like this pomp and circumstance for Baldur. And yeah. Thor is also Odin's son. And maybe he's like, why the fuck are all these people caring about Boulder? Like, yes, he was a, he was so fine. He's like, look, Dad, but, I can get angry at the giant too. And look, Dad, I can bless the ship. And it's like, that's, that's nice, Thor. That's nice, but we're not talking and, about you right now. <laughs> it, it all comes together. It's all back to Harvard's Law, where Thor gets embarrassed by his father that he just wants to impress. But maybe Thor is upset because everybody loves his brother more than him, which we we say is funny, but there's it's a little deep. Maybe it's not funny, but... Anyway, I wonder what's going through Thor's head through all of this, but he decides to kill the dwarf. And also, I wanted to make a note here, because when I went through this, I, I do recall there being multiple deaths at Baldur's funeral, and we've discussed two of them so far as they appear in Gofagonine. I was surprised, because when I went through it again this time, I f- for certain thought that Hod also dies, Hod being Baldur's killer and also Baldur's brother. So... It's it doesn't actually he doesn't actually die in Gofaganine. However, he does show up as or he does he is mentioned as being killed by Odin's son Valley, who's one night old. We mentioned that two weeks ago when, when we discussed Boulder's drama. There's also a couple stanzas in Vulaspa, which talks about how Mistletoe kills Boulder and Hoth is the one that killed him. And then Odin's son, who is only alive for a night, kills Hod. Why I thought this was in Gilfaganine in this story, Hod being killed, and then him being the third death of this funeral, is because I believe in Neil Gaiman's book, Norse Mythology, where he takes some liberties. I am pretty sure that Gaiman puts them all together where Hod dies along with the other two at this funeral. Um, so I hope that made sense, David, but like, that's something I think that I, um, I mean, when we talked yeah. about it earlier, I'm like, I think you're completely correct that Neil Gaiman has it right. And Snorri missed a piece or he thought it was far too complicated to add another death in here. 
but uh, I think that's that's canon as far as I'm considering Norse mythology. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. Um, and maybe we could like make it make the uh, argument that Ha died before the funeral. But I do believe in Neil Gaiman's book, he has Hod in Niflheim once Hermod actually makes it there. So it's it's really interesting to think about. But really quick, in Volospal, um stanza 31 and 32, again, this is going to be Jackson Crawford's translation. The witch says, I saw Boulder, the bloodied victim, Odin's son, resigned to his fate. There stood the mistletoe, growing slender and fair, high above the pain. That tree, which seems harmless, caused a terrible sorrow when Hoth, again, Hoth is Hod, took the shot. Boulder's brother was born soon thereafter. He was Odin's son. He took vengeance when he was just one night old. So you hear from, uh, you hear about Hod's death in the Poetic Edda a couple times. And Hod is also mentioned in the Prosetta in chapter 28 or 29, I believe, where it is mentioned that he his actions kind of fuck over the gods. So it makes sense that they would just kill him right there. And towards that, yeah, the, the name could be spelled H-O-D, but it's that D with the line through it that makes a T-H sound. And it, sometimes there's that almost silent R at the end. So that's this week, as I saw that spelling, it reminded me. So I think if you really try to get the Old Norse right, it would be like Holdthor, which is why I think it's a Hodor, but in any case. Gotcha. Yeah. There's that Game of Thrones reference again. So anyway, they finally got the the funeral pyre figured out. So then the story talks about how many how many beams came to this cremation. It mentions Odin and Frigg, obviously. It mentions the Valkyries. It mentions Odin's ravens, Hugin and Munin. Frey comes with his chariot, which was pulled by his boar, which we previously discussed in episode one of this season. The boar being created by, I think it was like Bristleblock or something like that, created by the dwarves. Hemdall comes with his horse, which is, his. its name translates to Golden Forelock. And that, that just reminded me of a Golden Mane, was one of the horses that was racing against uh, Odin's horse. Uh, Sleipnir, yeah. Sleipnir. Yeah, that's right. I think it was like Goldfaxi. Who was the best horse, right? Yeah, so I don't know if maybe Heimdall managed to get that horse, because didn't Odin kill uh, the giant to take it, try there, to take yeah. his horse? That's right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah Heimdall ended up with the horse. That's cool. Frigner died. Um, Golf actually lost a race to Sleipnir. So maybe yeah. uh, he just gave the horse to Hemdall. But I thought that Thor took the horse. That's the question, right? Yeah. but that, that, Maybe you know, Thor gave it to Hemdall. Because Hemdall is Rig. And sometimes maybe Rig is kind of Odin. So I don't know why Hemdall shows up here. But the myth is always for a reason. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it all, like often it doesn't make sense. And it's just Snorri just making shit up. But Freya comes with her cats. And many, and again, as I mentioned earlier, many giants and frost giants also came. So this is where we also just mentioned the ring. Odin lays his ring drop near on the pyre. And this is the ring that every nine nights, like, drops nine additional rings, I think it is, that are just as valuable as the main the main ring drop near. So Baldur's horse was then led in, all of its riding gear, and was led toward the pyre really you know one thing stands out to me i think this myth is one of the places they get the idea that um maybe the vikings you know their jarls or their leaders had really elaborate funerals maybe even with a lot of humans being sacrificed to travel with them on the ship to the underworld somewhere i read about that and i think this is one of those sources but it's also just really interesting to me how all of these those gifts of the gods right that loki got for the gods are all showing back up right freyr's back with his um his boar and maybe it's Skidbladnir, the uh, the greatest ship, Odin and Dropnir, right, as yeah. being sacrificed for the funeral. So all these and things Thor, that were the gifts of the Gionir. gods. Yeah, and that, that Thor is using his hammer to bless it, right? So these are all kind of coming back. I think that definitely means something. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. <clears throat> so anyway, then the story pivots. Meanwhile, back in back to Hermod's journey to hell in Niflheim. Oh, that was another one of my notes, yeah. So... Yeah, so everybody came together for the funeral, right? They're sending off the boat. And then the next part will be Hermod going to the underworld. So I wanted to do a little little bit of my notes on Hermod, that John Lindau really likes to emphasize this idea, and that he's a you know, scholar of Norse mythology, that the translation is that Hermod is Odin's lad. And so you might say that is like he's Odin's son, but maybe he's his servant. He's like his boy, his you know manservant, something like that. Um, and then they say there's another source... I guess another place where Hermod comes up 
that links uh, the Hyunliad poem links Hermod with Sigurd. That maybe so maybe Hermod is kind of and, and there's other you know he's not mentioned as a god very often. Maybe he is kind of this like demigod figure, like he's half god, half human, or that uh, kind of like a lot of heroes are. And then maybe he's sort of like a, a hero that Odin adopts as his son, something like that. And that there's an old English hero that has Heramod is the name of a hero. So I don't know enough about old English mythology, which is interesting. What are your thoughts on those parts, John? Have you read some of those sources? So it's it's interesting that you say that because I haven't like I have read the Volsungs and pretty much the main the male characters in the saga of the Volsungs are demigods. They're all kind of descendant yeah. of Odin. Um Heramod, I have not heard about, but being an old English poem, the only old English poem I know of that I haven't read yet is Beowulf. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure, but it would kind of make sense that Hermod is has some relation and he I, like I want to say that him being the one to volunteer to go to Niflheim, he I feel like he has something to prove to Frigg and Odin, and if he is a demigod and not like considered as good as the gods, maybe he tries to maybe he's doing this. He he decided to go to hell because he wanted to earn their favor. If that makes sense, but that's where I think he was mentioning too. There's another um, myth where Freyr has a servant that he sends to the underworld so that Odin has a servant he sends to the underworld kind of makes sense. And so I'd be really interested to look at yeah, some of these old other sources of the name uh, Hermod, because we were, you know, I was definitely thinking like it might be related to Hermes, but but maybe not, right? That, yeah, that, and then that Herm and Odd is combined, the kind of like that a Herm means the traveler of Odd, kind of like Odin. So it's Odin's traveler. But I don't know if that's actually the proper uh, origin of the word. I don't know. You might be on some there, maybe. <laughs> My theory is so. um, Someone can disprove it. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So here, Hermod rides for nine nights. Again, there's that number nine. Through valleys so deep and dark that he saw nothing before he reached the river Knoll, riding onto its bridge. The bridge was roofed with shining gold. And David, here's where I'm going to apologize for my horrible tweet at you two weeks ago with the river Knoll, if you want to take uh, it away. But, but this was the, the, the that it's not the river... Gnoll, because that is, um, so Fenrir's rock is named Giol, and that's one of the 11 rivers in the underworld, but that's not a river in Switzerland. It was the string attached to Fenrir's fetter that was called Gelgia. There's a river in Switzerland called the Gelgia. Oh, never <laughs> they, mind, then. I don't apologize. They could, they could not make this more confusing if they tried to. So yeah, that, that Sean, even Sean trying to apologize to me, we still got it wrong again. Cool. Well, no, I was right then. The, the Knoll is not the river in Switzerland. So anyway, moving on. The the bridge was guarded by a maiden named Moldgod, which means furious warrior. She asked about Hermod's family and mentioned that five troops of dead men had ridden across the bridge the previous day, but then said, in quotes, yet the bridge echoed more under you alone. And you lack the color of the dead. And then she asked him why he came to Niflheim if he was alive. And I thought that was really cool because they see dead people all the time. But for some reason, it was either Hermod not being dead or it was the fact that Hermod was coming to get Boulder back. Yeah. That well, made the know, bridge shake like that. It, it didn't strike me until you just read it to me here that she asks about Hermod's family and then mentions that you know, a group of five groups of dead people came through. So is this Hermod, if he's a human hero or a semi-human hero and that he has a bunch of family who are warriors, I wonder if she's referring to like that his family, some of them died in battle. That just came to me right now. Yeah. And then no, that's is it because he's sense. a mighty warrior that the bridge trembles or is it because he's alive? Uh, yeah. Kind of different ways you could read it. But. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. That makes sense. But so Hermod eventually states that he came in search of Boulder the uh, woman then said, Boulder has ridden across the Null Bridge, excuse me, the Null Bridge, and that down into the north lies the road to hell, which is very, a very scary thing that I never want to be told, but it kind of just makes sense. Like, that's the way to hell. Have yeah. fun. Like, so Hermod rides there. Sleipnir was able to jump over the gate without even coming near it. Um, again, um, Odin gave Hermod Sleipnir. Hermod dismounted and went inside the hall where he saw his brother, Balder. And I thought this was very interesting because 
this kind of lends itself to what you said earlier, where Hermod is kin to, to Odin. And right. it mentions here that Boulder and Hermod are brothers. Yeah. And that he gets to ride Slepnir, right? That usually just Odin rides Slepnir, right? So the idea, a lot of the Jungians, Jungian psychologists who are interested in mythology and archetypes think of Odin being a lot like Hermes, right? But then there's, it's not actually Odin traveling here. He comes other times to wake up Cirruses. But I really think that like Hermod and Odd, maybe there were some previous stories where they were Odin and then Snorri's trying to make them all make sense. So he makes them, you know, three different people. Uh, just possibilities. Yeah, no, no evidence for that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Again, 200, like 250 years or like 200 years or whatever since uh, Norse, like the Norse religion was actually practiced to where Snorri is alive. You know, he has to like kind of make a lot of it up, which is what I think we see a lot in these stories. So it makes sense. So when Hermod goes into the hall, the hall of hell, he sees that Boulder was seated in a high seat of honor. So remember in Boulder's drama, which we again discussed two weeks ago, they were preparing a banquet for his arrival. So this makes sense. He's a big deal. He's one of the, he's the, the pride of the Aesir who's died and now is in hell and not in Valhalla which I guess he kind of was already in Valhalla, but that makes sense. So I'm wondering if the pomp and circumstance for Boulder is it also sort of a fuck you from hell, Loki's daughter to Odin. And I, I laughed when I saw that, but so one part I think is that it definitely makes sense to have a big banquet because we don't get too many gods coming down to the underworld. Gods don't normally die, right? So is that a like, uh, you know, haha, Odin, he did die. Or is it just, hey, we'll celebrate, we, we, you know, this first time we ever got a god to come down here, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, that, and that maybe it's a wedding, but I'll tell you why I think that theory makes sense in a little while. <laughs> maybe Wait, it's a wedding. You think it's a wedding? Yeah. I'll tell you how I got there in a moment. Cool. Yeah, we'll get there in a second. But it, it also seems like, you know, the, the Aesir just pissed off Loki's spawn, and Hell is yeah. one of Loki's kids. Yeah. Um, so, like, it would be funny if they're like, oh, well, Odin, I have your fucking son. Yeah. And Odin, you're invited like, to the party. See, yeah. Right. <laughs> let's see if you can get it back or get him back. Yeah. So anyway, Hermod stays in Niflheim the night as a guest. The next day, Hermod speaks to Boulder. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The next day, Hermod asks Hel to let Boulder come home to Asgard. Hel responded, in quotes, If all things in the world, alive or dead, weep for him, then he would be allowed to return to the Aesir. If anybody speaks against him or refuses to cry, then he will remain in hell. And so I think this is fun because this is the fir- I think this is the first instance of hell being actually present in the stories that we've discussed in this podcast. And it may actually be one of the only ones. Right. She doesn't get too many speaking lines. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. And so this is one of my connections. You know, when you read yeah, both the Greek, the Norse mythology, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell talks about all the world mythologies. You see these patterns show up. So I guess I do need to explain just very briefly the myth of Persephone. Sean, have you ever heard of Persephone? I listened to an episode of a podcast that was that discussed myths, and they had like a bunch of voice actors come in. Yeah. And I remember they, I remember hearing the story of Persephone, but I don't recall exactly what happened. So the Persephone is the uh, the daughter of Demeter, and that Demeter is very much like Sif, who is Thor's wife, the the fields and the grain. And that I believe how the way the story goes is that Hades. So there's three brothers, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades. Zeus is the king. Poseidon's the king of the oceans. Hades is the king of the underworld. And Hades wants a bride. And he's down there in the underworld all day, just surrounded by dead people. He doesn't get to meet too many ladies. So he asks his brother, Zeus, hey, can I marry somebody? And Zeus is like, yeah, sure, have Persephone. She's not married. And Demeter's like, I never agreed to this. So Hades just comes out of the ground one day, grabs Persephone, takes her to the underworld. And Demeter says that the world will be frozen no life will grow again until her daughter's returned. Um, so they're like, well, Hades, we need to get Persephone back. Sorry about that. Um, and he's like, well, she can go back to the surface, but if she ate any food while she was in the underworld, then she has to come back. Like she, she can leave as long as she doesn't eat anything while she's in the underworld. And then somehow as she's leaving, he tricks her into eating like a few pomegranate seeds. Cause he's like, well, this won't barely even count. And you haven't eaten for months. Um, have a few pomegranate seeds. And so since she ate three seeds, that's why she has to go back to Hades for three months every winter. But there's just something I see here is that as they're negotiating, like Balder can leave, but only if. And that Balder is, you know, the, the 
the favorite son. And I think he's a, you know, a bachelor. He's not married. Um, you know, the favorite son of Zeus, the way Persephone is the favorite daughter of Demeter. And that's my theory that hell was trying to marry Balder. And that's what this was all about. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's like a connection between uh, Persephone and Freya then, because Freya keeps being offered to like marry somebody that she doesn't want to marry. And it sounds like that was the case with Persephone. Right. That that these things sort of mix, mix around, you know, that there's the, the, the Norse mythology doesn't map onto it perfectly, but the themes keep showing up. Right. I think so. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, when Hermod gets this inf- Hermod gets this information, he he leaves. However, Balder stops him and leads Hermod out of the hall. He gives him Dropnir to get back to his father Odin because again, Odin put Dropnir onto the funeral pyre, so it went with him to the underworld to Niflheim. Nana, who was Balder's wife, and she was also present in Hell Niflheim because she also died. She sent a linen robe to give to Frigg. She also gave a gold ring of hers to Fulla. Hermod returns with these items to Asgard to tell of his journey. So I, I think this is the first time that we heard about the goddess Fulla. Based and whether on, she's a, a goddess or yeah. another one of these kind of servant figures, right, is an interesting question. Yeah, that's like maybe. Yeah, so maybe not God. unlike Hermod. Right. Not like potentially, I guess, not like not unlike Hermod. Yeah. But she seems to be a servant or friend of Frigg's. Um, so I did some, wait, was this your note? David? Skip <laughs> David put a note. Is this the Norse equivalent of being a friend of Dorothy? Yes. Anyway, I looked up Fulla to see like where else she pops up in um, Norse mythology. And she does a couple times in Grimness Mall, the prose portion of that poem, which is found in the poetic Edda, Frigg sends Fulla to inform King Garrod to be wary of a traveler, which we find out is Odin, who is going to come. And sh- she tells him that the dogs will not bark at him. And that's how you know he's bad news. So I don't think we discussed that in our episode on Grimness Mall, but it was kind of like a fun, cute rivalry between Odin and Frigg, where they were manipulating mortals. And it seems like for Frigg to get the upper hand and get Odin trapped, she sends Fulla to do her bidding. Also, Fulla shows up in chapter 35 of Gilfagenin from the Prosetta, where she's listed as one of the goddesses. Ah, so um, she is there. Okay. Yeah. So, and this is, again, Je- Jesse Bayek's translation of the Prosetta. A fifth is Fulla, a fifth being the fifth, god- a fifth goddess. She, too, is a virgin, and she goes about with her hair falling loose and a gold band around her head. She carries Frigg's ashen box looks after her footwear and shares secrets with her. It's an interesting um, one because so she's not really the goddess of much other than being Frigg's servant, but there's got to be something yeah, about serving Frigg, who is the the queen and kind of the mother or the wife. I don't know what it means. Yeah. Well, Boulder also gave a gold band, like a gold ring to give to Fola. So I wonder if something, something is there between Boulder and Fola. However, Maybe. it also, I got also in the quote, it says she has a gold band around her head, which can be potentially looked at as a big ring that you put around your head. But based on her mentions in Skald Skabramal, which is another portion of the Prosetta, she seems to have some affiliation or connection with gold in general. Yeah. And the theme of gold is showing up a lot here, right? As we talk about Drafnir being the golden ring that keeps turning into more golden rings, right? And just what gold represents in the hero's journey which is kind of like wisdom. It's the, the the goods of your soul that you find in the underworld. So that this keeps going back and forth. And just with me and my theory of the Baldur's getting married, maybe something like the, you know, the, the price, the dowry price you pay or something. But um, I'm kind of stretching to make sense because I, I don't know exactly. I haven't been able to quite connect. Like what is the linen robe? What is uh, the golden ring given to Fulla mean? There's something about a linen robe in one of the uh, myths. I think it's the Fisher King but I don't have that myth on the top of my head to be able to share. It's something that the hero wears this linen robe from his mother under his, uh, under, under his armor. He's wearing, and so maybe that Balder was wearing this linen robe that his mom gave him, and he's sending it back now so that Balder's becoming a man. I'll have to find that myth later to put in the uh, show notes. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like there's so much to unpack in this story because, it, first of all, Balder is a big deal within the story, but there's like so many characters and there's so many like objects that, show up somewhere else in Norse mythology to yeah. where like you 
it's probably just it's probably just two idiots on a podcast kind of like saying, oh, well, maybe this has some connection here when really Snorri was just like, oh, yeah, and there was a ring um, and a robe. But Well, and that's what, what struck me when um, – what's the idea is that all these images are very powerful. Whether Snorri knew exactly what they all meant is questionable because he doesn't take them too seriously. He's coming from the Christian perspective, right? But when they were put into these stories originally, they meant something. And that a, th- a thing that really struck me when I was listening to your – you did the introduction for our, uh, episode 10, where you were kind of giving from Odin's perspective, really him preparing for the day he's finding out about his son dying. Right. Oh yeah. And that we don't hear anything from Balder. He's like the most boring character. I don't know anything about him. I'm not invested in him at all. Right. I kind of care that Odin's upset, but otherwise I'm like, who is this guy? But if he was a hero where we had some real development and backstory, right. He's just like the generic hero that I don't care about. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, as far as like archetypes, which I know you like to discuss often, David, yeah. like Odin. And one thing I love about Odin is that he is very flawed, whereas Boulder is just propped up as this like glorified being that literally radiates light. Is yeah. He's so beautiful and he's like so perfect. And yeah. I think you've previously made connections to like the Christians, Jesus Christ. Right. Like, and it's kind of boring, right? <laughs> like, there's well, there's Christ, nowhere to go Christ if you're that interesting because sometimes he gets angry and flips over the banker's table and he'll sit with uh, prostitutes and he doesn't judge them. And so that Christ even has some darkness and some interesting stuff kind of going on. Uh, Baldur's just extremely boring. And I think that's why Loki's got to mix it up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So anyway, when the Aesir find out about Hell's terms, they sent messengers throughout the world asking that Baldur be quote, wept out of hell. And I think I may have made that quote. I don't think that's in the actual um, Prosetta. All of the people did, all of the animals and trees, and pretty much all of the elements, like the chemical elements did so as well. They all wept for Boulder in an effort to get him to come back. So I want, I, this kind of, before we get into the next part, this kind of reminds me of in Boulder's drama, which we discussed two weeks ago. It was a very brief poem you and I discussed one little stanza there that kind of made it seem like Odin just brought something up out of nowhere that could have been Odin going into a trance. And I think he like mentioned, he asked, he asked uh, the dead witch, like who cries, like who are these, like, I, I don't think he said angels, but who are these like beings that are crying right now? Yeah. And so I'm wondering if this is an illusion, to, like this kind of, that was like foreshadowing to this, if that makes sense. And another piece of why this is significant. So one of the quotes in the in the myth, it says that, you know, all of the rocks and the trees and the metals, even as thou must have seen that these things weep when they come out of the frost and into the heat. So this was a, a interpretation from uh, John Lindau again. This idea that, you know, we go from winter where everything's cold and then like every morning there's frost on the rocks, but the sun comes out and it looks like the rocks are weeping, right? It looks like the plants are weeping. There's dew on the leaves where there was frost, right? So that somehow this thing of Balder coming back from the underworld is tied into winter going to spring. This began the same as um, Demeter and Persephone, right? So there's, I think that one's real. I think that's a good connection I found. Awesome. Which confirms that Balder is getting married to hell. But, uh, yeah. Wait, wait, say that again? That, that, that confirms for me that Balder is getting married to hell, that hell's trying to keep Balder in the underworld and marry him, but uh, he needs to go back to the surface and now. And she's crying too now because she lost her balder. I, I I think that's <laughs> that's definitely an interesting thought. That's that's mo- even more of like a fuck you to Odin. Yeah, yeah well, I'm going to marry your son. Yeah, nothing you can do about it. Kind of thing. He can't. He's staying here. He's not going to be in Valhalla. Yeah. So get over it. But anyway, so all of these things and all of these beans start crying. However, they found one giantess who was sitting in a cave named Thok. They asked her to weep for Boulder. They asked her to weep Boulder out of hell. However, she refused, and then she spoke a verse. Thok will weep dry tears at Boulder's funeral pyre. Alive or dead, the old man's, who's Odin, son gave me no joy. Let hell hold what she has. And obviously, this is Loki in disguise. Though the text states that people believe, in quotes, it was Loki, However, you and I know, and the reader knows, it almost certainly is. He orchestrated Boulder's death, and now he wants him to stay in hell with his daughter, Hell. And I see now your note, maybe she wants a husband. So, David, I'll let you take that away. Just, yeah, I've already kind of addressed that. That again, it's Loki constantly thwarting the goddesses, right? That Frigg really wants her golden son back, and Loki's getting in the way of things, right? That Sif and her golden hair, and Loki gets in the way of that, right? That's kind of her pride and joy, right? And then Idun has the golden apples 
And also Loki gets in the way of that, right? So there's something about Loki really has something against the goddesses. And uh, I don't know what that means either, but. Um, they, they do seem to be the victims in most of, these, most of these stories. Yeah, and the victims of Loki, right? That somehow, yeah, he's causing these problems and um, having to try to save them or help them out. But it was yeah. interesting about that little, the verse that um, Thok speaks is, um, I think that India is a, it's a separate poem. So that Snorri knew this was an old poem, this line, and he's trying to fit it into his narrative. I don't have the book in front of me, but I think you might be right there. So to wrap up the story, well, I guess the story ends, but to wrap up the story, the gods have another reason to be absolutely pissed at Loki. So Loki's, what was Loki being a playful prankster, which happened to piss off God, the gods, has turned into like Loki actually being a murderer or orchestrating the deaths of their loved ones. Um, so it, it's pretty it's pretty intense. Um, so moving forward, Gilfagenin goes straight into chapter 50 after this, and it details what the gods do about Loki at that point, which is obviously pretty, they're obviously pretty pissed off. But I think what we're going to do after the, my R2 week hiatus of our series on Loki is get into a poetic at a poem, the poetic at a poem, Locusena, which we've quoted multiple times. It just kind of builds up another reason why the gods would be pissed at Loki. But then I think we're going to get into what the gods do about Loki as we continue the series. No, I think that makes sense yeah. because before Loki uh, his faces consequences, Loki Senna is just one of the most wonderful poems of him pissing everybody off. And uh, that we, yeah, clearly that happens first somewhere in there. Yeah. So that's it. That's chapter 49 of Gilfagenine. Uh David, what are your thoughts? And just, yeah, the, I don't have too many deep interpretations because there, there is so much to this, right? I could take any kind of third of this myth and really, drag it apart and try to connect it. There's a lot of this hero's journey of, of Balder being the hero. I keep seeing that show up. And then these other parallels that go into some of the hero sagas about gold and golden rings and going to the underworld. So there's something about that going on here. And that me and my theory about Persephone and Demeter and Balder going to the underworld and the world weeping for him until he comes back in spring, right? That will really connect for me this idea of Balder and Freyr. The Freyr being a fertility god, that Balder is clearly a god of rebirth, right? That's why we parallel him with Christ, right? Going to the underworld, coming back to life. That these, you know, Balder and Freyr are different, yet there's something about their archetype, I think. What are your thoughts on that one, Sean? Can you repeat that last part? That, uh, what did I say? That is, that even though Freyr and Balder are clearly different gods, that maybe they're, they have a similar archetype they share. This fertility god, the rebirth of the seasons kind of archetype going on there. Gotcha. Yeah, I think, I don't know, Frey is definitely a, more of a flawed person, like a flawed god. And I know we're going to go over his episode probably also in the next couple of months that shows exactly how sinister he can be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think Boulder, like in, I'm not sure if this is what you were getting at, but Boulder is very one-dimensional. Well, no, and I, I actually don't know a ton about Freyr because I, I try to leave myself a little bit ignorant to these things. So they're fun things <laughs> to discover as we go through them together but that Freyr might be a darker side. They're both fertility gods, but one's lighter and one's darker. That would really make a lot of sense. I like this theory. Um, yeah. And so like, I guess like what I think about that is like Freyr is a Vanir God. The, the Aesir, as I've said multiple times, are, they're kind of like pieces of crap. They really are like Odin, like Odin is, Thor is like, they, they really all are. And as we've seen, like what they do to Loki in this series, they, they can be very sinister yeah. and, they do what they think is helping them, but they're they're kind of the evil party in all of this. Yeah. And I think I, I mentioned previously in an episode where there was a, a poem from the Poetic Edda where an elf was like fine. It was a perfect, he was like a great being. He got like, I guess um he got um compromised based on his relations with a human king. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's like a similar similarity here with like Freyr being a part of the Aesir gods. Yeah. And it's like him like being now a part of the Aesir tribe after being a part of the Vanir tribe who just, they bring out the worst in him. So I'm not, again, I'm not sure if like that's what they're getting at, but like, I do think that there's something to be said that like maybe Boulder, what makes him so great is that he doesn't like, he doesn't reduce himself to being a hateful, evil part, like being, if that makes yeah. sense. The, the Boulder is kind of, is it like innocent, one dimensional, that he's the hero. Which is kind of more like the the boy or the son. He's he's not quite a leader. He's just uh, a guy on his own trying to figure out who he is, right? And then something that just strikes me as you're talking about this that's a little bit uh, 
you know, not to get too political, but kind of like the patriarchy, right? That we're talking about this, you know, patriarchal, the Aesir, right? That that's the, the king and he's the boss of everything, right? And that especially Odin is one that's a little bit corrupted and power hungry and things like that. That so I, was, I hadn't planned to talk about it, but it just fits right now. This idea that, you know, the, the, the patriarchy is supposed to be a bad thing. It's a book by uh, Robert Moore talks about the mature masculine. That it, It's not about that the masculinity is terrible. Patriarchy is insecure masculinity. It's you don't feel mm-hmm. powerful enough, secure enough in yourself. So you're trying to get power over everybody else. That's the issue. That makes sense. Yeah. Whereas, uh, and then what is, what is mature masculinity that is more secure? Maybe it balances some of these things like the lover and the warrior, and it's not uh, too much of any one thing, right? And as, um, as I'm talking about the patriarchy, then we talk about Freyr coming from the Vanir, which would very much be a matriarchal society in my mind. So that he's, you know, one of the gods. And that is, you're saying that he has this dark aspect to him, very much reminds me. I think Freyr has, been, has parallels to whoever is the god within... Um, Wicca and some of the other pagan religions that are very much about the goddess, but there is also a God that's kind of like uh, secondary to the goddess being the, the earth mother kind of spirit. Um, and that often in Christianity, that's been demonized as the devil being who Freyr is. So there's a, a bunch of things we could unpack here, probably when we get to the Freyr episode. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let me think if there's anything else. I'll leave that there. That was an interesting uh, interpretation. I didn't think I was going to find, um, <laughs> but well, maybe one thing. What are your thoughts, John? Before I, yeah, should, should I get? No, I was just going to ask you. Like that, that kind of wraps up our series on like the main arc yeah. of Boulder. Like there, he actually does play a part uh, later in the the story. But like you know, I like with this three part series, I didn't know if you had any primary takeaways, like in reflecting over what we've discussed over the last three weeks. So like, Boulder is like looked at, like in a very explained like a five version. Boulder is looked at as the like primary guy. Like he's looked at as the pride of the gods yeah. and he gets taken down by Loki, who is what you would say is an agent of fate. And Loki kind of just wants to cause chaos at this point. Oh, yeah. um, and it kind of creates the downfall of the gods. So I didn't know if like, when you take a look at all of that, if you had anything else to kind of add to this, no, that, that we haven't that, already. That, that Loki makes sense. needs to take him down a notch. He's also kind of taking Odin down a notch that, um, that fate, right. Takes you down a notch sometimes. Right. So that was, that was kind of my other interpretation I, I was thinking about going on was that Loki's bringing about Ragnarok, right? We'll talk more about that. But as we're talking about Baldur and this idea of rebirth, right? That the destruction is necessary for the rebirth and for growth, right? If you're too static or too focused on like perfectionism and Baldur being perfect, right? That that is boring. It's, it's static. It's not going anywhere, right? Loki is much more interesting and it seems awful, right? And its fate is a lot of things that are awful. So this psychologically, right, is that nobody wants to die, but also that's the ego. Yeah. It doesn't just mean your physical body dying. It's also the ego death that is necessary for growth. And this is in Buddhism, it's called enlightenment. In Jungian psychology, it's called individuation, figuring out who you really are, a real individual, a mature man rather than an insecure child, right? That that some kind of killing off a part of yourself is necessary for that. Yeah. Probably always, right? Maybe there's a way around it, but I don't think so, right? So again, not, not to be too much of plugging myself, but the, the, the talking about the stoic mindfulness, prosoke, it's the first step they say on this thing called the path of the prokopton, which is very much like the, the Greek equivalent of enlightenment. It's you know to, to reach enlightenment or the, your best version of yourself. It starts with mindfulness. That's kind of being aware, maybe figuring out what's the part of yourself you have to kill off, maybe something like that. Figuring yeah. out what, what it is you're afraid of doing, things like that. So connecting these things together somewhat genuinely, not just to pl- plug my uh, stuff I'm doing on the walled garden. That's that, that's why I'm doing those things. I find them very interesting. Yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm actually kind of glad that you went that direction with it because if you, if you look at Boulder, as, if you look at the gods as like the, um, like the manifestations of the forces of nature or something like that. And I think when you look at Boulder, you look at hope, yeah. you look at like, Oh, hope he's, he's, he's the hope, hope of the ACR. Right, exactly. Yeah. And he dies. Yeah. And to like when I know you, you were talking more so specific, specifically about the ego death as opposed to death itself. But like I kind of like look at these stories and say like Ragnarok is Ragnarok is fated to happen. It is all of our deaths. And 
you know, at some point, maybe you see bolder in yourself. You always see like a better self coming in the next few years, but at some point and like not to get too morbid, but like maybe some point when you're like 80 plus, there's still life to live. There's still ways to get better. But at that point, like maybe you're like, okay, well, you know, what I thought was going to happen with my life is not going to happen. Yeah. And like, again, maybe this is very morbid on my part. And this is like based on my own experiences of like what I've talked about with my therapist. And I know you, you speak to a lot of your patients. I'm not sure if any of them have like conveyed the same fears, but like, I feel like letting go of this, um, I guess this perfect idea of you, like, and then just like letting that idea die is also kind of like similar to the ego death. Yeah. Um, and I, like, maybe, maybe I'm way off there, but I feel like with, if you look at a character like Boulder, he didn't go save the world. He's not Jesus Christ. Maybe he was supposed to, but like he got killed because we don't live in a perfect world. And you know, his downfall represents the downfall that we all may experience at some point, if that makes sense. No. And I really like your connection of hope, right? And because to let hope die is the philosophy nihilism, right? It's, It's to believe in nothing, to believe in no hope. Yeah. There's something you're saying in there about you have to maybe almost let hope die or your expectations die, right? But then you keep some kind of hope alive for the rebirth, right? That's You don't let it die entirely, but that having too much fear and clutching to this thing uh, prevents you from ever uh, going through the, as Jung would call it, the dark night of the soul is the hero's journey, that you go to the underworld and it gets very dark before it gets better. So that's, uh, it, it is what's happening here. And it's very hard for us to pack, <laughs> unpackage all of it, right? But I think... Uh, yeah, it's a good example. And, that, and that's why I try to figure out how we're going to deal with the sagas because there's so much going on in the sagas, right? Yeah, the, the stories are so long, right? How do you break them down? Uh, yeah, I've been listening to versions of uh, Dante's Inferno uh, uh, broken down on a podcast, right? And it's like, it's hard to do justice to it if you don't actually just read it. But um, I'm sure there's something useful we'll have to say about the sagas too, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess in the meantime for our podcast, we're going to have to see what the gods do with Loki and what happens, like what happens to the gods, you know, as they approach Ragnarok and what happens afterwards. So. Yep, sounds good, Sean. I think, I hope this, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. I've really enjoyed the series and, uh, and I guess a mini series within a series, the mini right? series within the series. And we'll have another mini series on Freyr within the Loki series, <laughs> but then that, uh, and enjoy these, uh, short episodes we'll put together over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, David. Thank you, everybody else, for listening. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.